Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, April 16th, 2019. We're continuing our Star Wars coverage with some more on Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me at this podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Uh, not much. This, so this is our first podcast for the week uh, because we've been re- over-recording, as I mentioned on last uh, the last episode, which was Sunday. Uh, ben, you have been away uh, on a little mini-vacation, so you weren't around when we recorded our reaction to Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, the teaser trailer. You actually did not comment on the title or the teaser trailer or anything. So, uh, first of all, uh, wh- when did you get to see this trailer? Were you like in the middle of the woods on your phone? Yeah, so my wife and I were in uh, Sequoia National Park, and I knew that this trailer was coming on on Friday, and I had my computer with me, but the Wi-Fi signal wasn't great. I had my phone with me, obviously, but I, I we decided, we made the call that we were going to wait until we got home so we could watch it on the big screen. So that was like, we didn't see the trailer until I think it was Sunday night or something, um, but it was pretty glorious to watch in you know in, on a on a proper screen instead of just my little phone um 
so the actual my reaction to this teaser um I don't really know what's going on in it. Like the story elements are so vague. I guess that's typical of a teaser. I, I don't know what typical of JJ Abrams. Very, very. Um, I think to me, I don't know if I, I listened to some of the podcasts that you guys did. I, I don't know if I've c- completely caught up yet, but I'm wondering, do you, get, do you guys talk about that run that Ray does where she leaps backwards, uh, you know, up and over that thing? Like that seems to me like, something that would be in a Fast and Furious movie, not in a Star Wars movie. It kind of broke my brain a little bit. Like, wait a second, what is going on now? Like, what is this crazy gymnastic move that's going on and slow-mo and the spinning and everything? It just, it didn't strike me as a very Star Wars moment, but everything else I really, well, not everything else, but most of the other things I really, really enjoyed. I love the look of it. Um, And then the Palpatine thing came at the end and I was like, my heart just sank. So uh, I I did listen to the conversation you guys had. And I I think I I probably settled somewhere in between all of you where it's just sort of like I'll take a wait and see approach and and see how this whole thing uh, unfolds. and, And maybe Abrams has found a decent way to incorporate this. But my first reaction is like, oh, God, what what is happening here? I, I, uh, ben, say, I think you have it. Ba- I think Ben has it backwards, real quick, Peter. And I, I think that he's incorrect about Star Wars taking on a Fast and Furious tone, when it's clear that Dom and the Fast crew are just all Jedi. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that would explain that like amazing leap on over the highway in uh, Fast and Furious Six. But <laughs> yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised. I knew about this Palpatine thing ahead of time, and I was expecting there to be a more divisive response to this reveal in this teaser trailer and at least from what I can gather from my Twitter feed talking to people in my everyday life and uh, the reactions from Celebration itself it seems like mostly people are on board even more so than the Slash Film newsroom to Palpatine being in the film so I, I, I'm kind of shocked because I expected that to be I expected some people to be really upset about that but, uh, yeah, so I, I, I think it's really going to be, you know, how, it comes down to the execution of that. And we will talk about that on today's podcast. We're going to talk about um, a bunch of stories we published on the site. We're going to answer some mailbag. And I'm, I'm going to talk about my theory as well. Um, actually, you, you, you didn't tell us, uh, Ben, you didn't tell us uh, what did you think of the title? Oh, um. I, 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 I'm, hmm, I'm still working it out. I don't, uh, you know, I, I listened to what you guys were talking about, how it just sort of feels strange coming out of your mouth. And I do agree with that. I think, I think I like it. I don't know, man. It's a, it's a tough one. I think I'm going to have to wait and see it in, in context. But, uh, you know, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, those, those are just such um, concise, con- like, uh, I don't know, like, for lack of a better word, strong titles. This one I don't think has that same power. Um, and maybe there have just been so many movies over the past decade with the word rise or, or alluding yeah. to a rise that it sort of feels a little diluted to me now. But um, I, I feel like once the the end credits roll, I'll appreciate it more than I do right now. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Um, I, I will say this. I remember when the Force Awakens title was announced, I was kind of down on that title. I thought it should have a more Star Wars version of that title. That that felt more modern and fresh to me than like a Star Wars title. I, I thought like the Star Wars version of that title should have been like the Awakening of the Force or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but, you know, JJ's always been a very contemporary guy. Um, Entertainment Weekly's Ash uh, Crossan talked to Abrams at Star Wars Celebration. We, we have the video linked in the article that we'll link in the show notes. But basically, she asked him... You know, what does this title mean? Is is does it mean that Ray's a Skywalker? What is going on here? And JJ basically in JJ fashion did not answer the question at all. He says that the title feels like the right title for this movie. I know it's provocative and asks a bunch of questions, but when you see the movie, you'll see how it was intended and what it means. By the flow of the title, this title had a very big responsibility. It had to end we talked about the movie and the title as a whole. He says that this movie has to not only be the end of three movies, but the end of nine movies. And the idea of incorporating the movies that come before strangely is the story of the movie. It's the characters in the film inheriting, inheriting everything that's come before in previous generations, whether it be the sins of the father or the wisdom that they've acquired. And the question is, is this new generation up for the task? So uh, now heard that, what do you, who do you think the the title is referencing? Is it is it referencing Luke? Is it referencing Kylo? Is it referencing Ray? Or is it referencing all all of us as the as the teaser trailer uh, kind of alludes to? I like the all of us theory, Jacob. What do you think? Yeah, I spoke about this already on the last podcast about the title, but uh, especially after hearing what Abram says here, I I genuinely think that it refer it refers to the. Uh, the ethos of what Skywalker means and the idea of what Luke Skywalker represents as opposed to an individual, which would tie closely to Last Jedi's themes. So um, I think so. if that's the case, then yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah, no, I mean, that trailer makes a good point. You know, a thousand generations live in you, but this is your fight. Uh, some very powerful uh, dialogue there. Um, the other thing that Abrams revealed in interviews at Celebration was that George Lucas was actually involved in this movie in some way. He actually sat down with Lucas and uh, before filming Episode Nine, and uh, Lucas helped him get to the center of what, what this ending of this sequel trilogy is, which uh, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, uh, you know, depending on your view on <laughs> Lucas's involvement in the future of this franchise. But, uh, I mean, obviously, inter- interesting enough, I've been doing a lot of research recently, and one of the things I came to was Lucas's uh, – there was an article on – what Lucas had intended when he made A New Hope, what his intention for the nine Star Wars films were. And recently someone spoke out about Lucas's actual original intentions. And at that time, his original intention was to have Palpatine, or, or, or the Emperor at the time, appear only in Episode Nine, And until Episode Nine, you'd only see him in, you know, uh, holograms and stuff like that. Um, so, so... I'm wondering how Lucas feels now that the Emperor is coming back to close out this this uh, this franchise, this trilogy and franchise. Um, but we learned a lot from Star Wars Celebration. I know, Ben, you did a huge roundup of, of bits and pieces that we just weren't able to cover over the weekend. Uh, what are some of the more interesting bits that y- you wrote up? Uh, one of the things was that uh, Daisy Ridley, who was the star of the movie, revealed that the ending of the film changed sort of on the fly during production. She said that uh, a slightly different beat was added and that it was nice to sort of experience that ending like along with the filmmaker instead of just having a script 
handed to her and and having it be laid out beforehand. So that sounds very much in line with what we know about J.J. Abrams and how he makes movies and how he's constantly sort of uh, tinkering with stuff. And, you know, we know that there were a lot of reshoots done on Force Awakens, for example, that made that movie way better than (laughs) it probably would have been otherwise. So it's not surprising to hear that the ending of the movie changed. Um, I am curious if we're ever going to find out what the original version was going to be. Maybe somebody will be able to ask Abrams about that and maybe he'll actually open up about it now that, you know, once the movie comes out now that the, the saga is done. Um, But yeah, that that's one of the things. And then also um, Kathleen Kennedy was, was asked about, the return of Palpatine. And she said that his appearance had been in the blueprint for a long time, indicating that this was something that they've been building to maybe even since the force awakens the, the interviewer asked about, you know, if this had been in the works since episode seven. And she said, it's been in the blueprint for a long time. We had not landed on exactly how we might do that, but yes. And so it was, it was, you know, the way she phrased that it was sort of unclear if she was specifically saying, yes, this has been in the works since episode seven or just, Yes, we've been thinking about this for a while. Um, and then but but the the interview interviewer followed up and said, um, but he was always meant to be in episode nine. And she said, yes. So there's something. And maybe, Peter, that's hinting. I, I know you've expressed uh, yeah. dismay in the past about a, a potential overarching plan for this trilogy. Maybe that sort of hints that there was a little bit of one along the way. What, what, what I think it is, then, is I think that J.J. Abrams kind of created a rough outline for what he wanted this sequel trilogy to be. Mm-hmm. And then when they, you know, had other filmmakers, Ryan Johnson, come on board, Ryan Johnson, you know, saw that outline and, you know, didn't have to adhere to any of it. Not to say that he didn't, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. I have a question, though. I think this is actually the question everyone's asking and the question that I feel like we're all dodging. I think it's very, very important we ask at this juncture. But um, will Episode Nine introduce Constable Zuvio? (laughs) You know what? Ash Crossan of Entertainment Tonight actually asked J.J. Abrams this at Celebration, and he basically just laughed it off. (laughs) In other words, yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I hope so because he. I, I think you can only see him in literally one freeze frame of Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Like he's almost impossible to see, and he's in the background. And like he was part of like the entire marketing for that movie, and uh, he had his own figure, which still you can find him on the shelves of your local Target and Walmart. So, um, okay, let's talk about uh, John Boyega. He appeared. After the panel, he appeared on the Star Wars uh, show stage, and I was watching that, so I wrote this up for the site because he he, he let a little interesting bit slip while talking to Anthony Carboni of the Star Wars show. He said that um, the Skywalker saga is done. It felt amazing being part of this final fight. For me, after Episode Eight, I wanted more clarity. I, I had so many questions. I am a Star Wars fan on set that likes to do debate everything. So for me, I wanted to see more. I wanted to know more about these characters. I wanted to see them together. So I was like, come on, JJ, man. I haven't written a drop, but I know exactly what the fans want. They want to see everybody together. They want to see the dynamics between Rey and Kylo. They want more explanation of the Jedi path. So let's do it. So I'm glad JJ was on board uh, on the same exact page. So, I mean, judging by the teaser trailer, we we definitely see 
this main crew together, kind of almost for the first time. We saw them together at the, in that last shot of The Last Jedi, but this is the first time that we're going to spend some meaningful time with that main crew together. So it sounds like, you know, Boyega got his wish there. But the interesting thing here, I think, is him saying that we're going to get some clarity. So I, I think what he's saying there is we're going to finally get, end the debates completely. Not only, you know, who are Ray's parents, but, you know, who was Snoke? Who is the evil behind the First Order? Um, you know, all those questions that fans still have. Um, and also that we're going to see more explanation of the, you know, the path to being a Jedi, which could be could be kind of interesting uh uh, jacob do you do you have any thoughts on what boyega Boyega teases here i like this Uh, i like the idea of him talking about the past of the jedi especially because uh we see luke train with yoda for like three days before he runs off and becomes a jedi master between movies more or less because he goes from being a guy who loses his fight with darth vader to being this sort of robe wearing you know master of the force and turn the jedi so I'd really love if this movie really delves into how Rey becomes powerful and how she becomes, a, you know, able to leap over a TIE fighter like like she does in that trailer. I would love the nitty gritty of that. And I think I like how Boyega sounds like you, Peter. He sounds like he wants something out of Star Wars. The same things you want out of it. So I, you reading that, I was like, oh, it sounds like him and Peter would have a great conversation about yeah. what would be a good Star Wars movie. Oh, we totally would. And, you know, th- that that is another one of my disappointments of The Last Jedi is going into The Last Jedi. I was like, oh, we're going to get more of that. Pat- we're going to get to see some Jedi training. We get to see some of that stuff in, like, Star Wars Rebels and Clone Wars. And I feel like that's the, the we get more of that than we actually get get it in the, the actual movies themselves. And, uh, you know, Last Jedi, it wasn't about Luke being, you know... A trainer to Ray, and he taught her a couple lessons, but not much. I'm I'm wondering, you know, in, in this next film, if uh, I mean, who's going to train Ray? Is going to be the Force Ghost of Luke Skywalker, or could, it could be Leia? Leia, maybe, maybe it's Leia. Maybe it's the Jedi texts. Like she trains herself just reading the books that she has. That that is going to be riveting viewing, watching her read <laughs> texts, and uh, it's going to be like her like. It's going to be like me reading my magic books. I, I read the th- and then I like try to do a double lift with a deck of cards. Um, okay. you know, Peter, if they release a book that's a recreation of one of those Jedi texts with like uh, different essays written by the various authors, like this, like tales disguised as legends, disguised as lessons type things, and release it as like a $50, like looking like a worn actual like ancient book, I would spe- I would buy that book and read it cover to cover. Yes, Jacob, please, for the love of God, do that. And then you can read from that at the end of every water cooler episode instead of that god-awful joke book. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do have some kind of Jedi textbook. I've never bought it. They have a Sith one as well. Um, okay, let's move on. Let's talk about, uh, you know, we're dancing. Another thing we're dancing around here, Jacob, is not only Constable Zuvio, but we're dancing <laughs> around the idea that Ray's parents could be changed in this final chapter obviously in the last film the last jedi we hear kylo tell ray that her fears are correct that her you know and she admits to herself that her parents are nobodies and uh i guess junkers from jakku is what would have said um jj was asked if the, the if ray's parents are going to be changed in this final installment 
Ben, what did he say? Yeah, he was actually asked if we're going to find out who they are. Uh, And his response was um, sort of illuminating. He said, I will say that we knew going into this that this movie, it had to be a satisfying conclusion. And while we were uh, well aware that that's one of the things that's been out there, I don't want to say that what happens in episode eight and then he essentially means like, I don't want to say what happens in episode eight didn't happen. He said, we have honored that. But I will say that there's more to the story than you've seen. So there's a lot to uh, talk about there. There's, I mean, this is a whole thing that that has been one of the, I would say, like one of the the centerpieces around the discussion of the Last Jedi is is how that reveal um, has has sort of uh, encapsulated the movie's themes overall and what that could potentially do to the Star Wars trilogy or maybe even saga as a whole if that is undone. But um, I, I don't know, Peter. I I know you're about to talk about your right theories because you 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 wrote this whole thing, and I have to say really quickly that I've been a big big supporter of these of, of the Ray's parents are nobody reveal, uh, and I have been very like uh, my heels have been dug in on this point, and I just really don't want there to be any sort of going back on that in any way. But I have to say that taking a step back and sort of looking at this whole thing especially in light of Abrams' recent comments about how this movie is going to be the resolution of nine films and looking at the entire saga on a sort of a macro level, I kind of do think that there is going to be some sort of extra information, some sort of extra reveal here that that ultimately makes this universe a little bit smaller than I wanted and and than what The Last Jedi seemed to indicate. But also, I just looked back, and I don't know if you guys read this article uh, that I just published like right before we started recording, Um, but I I found this uh, interview with Ryan Johnson where he was asked right before The Last Jedi came out if Rey's parentage was going to be revealed in the movie, and he... His response is very, very interesting. We've linked the article in the show notes. I want people to go, you know, if you're interested in this oh, topic come on. you got to tell us what he said. Okay, so <laughs> I, I don't have it actually written out, but he says, let me see here. He says it's something that's absolutely addressed uh, in this movie. And then they said, will there be clarification? And he said, it depends on, and then he stops himself and says, like, I can't actually say anything because... I'm going to give it away. But just the fact that he paused there and said it depends on I I mean, you can fill in the blanks there of like what he is going to say. It depends on whether you believe Ray and Kylo. It depends on whether they're in the proper headspace, whether they're being controlled yeah. by somebody, whether they're being uh, incepted by someone. I mean, there are like an infinite number of possibilities there. But just the fact that he wasn't completely steadfast about, yes, it's being revealed in this movie. Yeah. Um leads me to to believe that he knows that there's some some wiggle room there and i guess that's a good transition into what into your your theories yeah before i get into my theories i do want to say something here because a lot of people take this whole reveal of ray being from a no one as you know in the whole last jedi like has this message that anybody can be a jedi that was always the message that george well wasn't always the message George Lucas had this whole thing about metachlorians and some people had higher metachlorians than others. Uh, I think that's a little bit of bullshit, but there was always Jedi outside of the Skywalker blood. Like that wasn't something that Ryan Johnson brought to this franchise. And I feel like he gets improperly credited with that idea 
um, this was always going to be the Skywalker saga of nine films. Uh, you know, Kathleen Kennedy was saying that when promoting episode seven. So uh, I don't think that her having some uh, being if she were to be related to the Skywalkers in some way. Like, does a disjustice to this universe. Yes, it makes this universe small, but we're telling the Skywalker saga here. We're not telling the history of the Jedis in the Star Wars universe. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob, do you have any thoughts before we get into my theory? Uh, ben echoes them quite well already. Uh, I will, however, say your theory made me angry because I think it's correct. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, l- let me talk about my theory. Uh, this came over the weekend. There was a shot in the Star Wars, the riot. And I should say that this is a theory. I, I Nothing I'm about to say is, is anything I know, but potentially this could be how it happens. So if you don't want to speculate on possibilities, then I guess turn off this podcast now. But we're going to do mailbag after this, so uh, hopefully you can stick around. Um, Okay, so there's a shot in the Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker trailer that shows this ship uh, descending on this kind of, like, snow-capped mountain-like planet, a planet we've never seen in Star Wars history. And it's actually one of the few shots in this trailer that kind of, like, stands out because it doesn't really it's not like a cool visual and it, it i don't know it's it, it's kind of weird that it's there like it doesn't ser- seem to serve much of any purpose in, in the in the context of the teaser trailer um but someone over the weekend someone named Genghis noticed that the ship in this in this shot actually looks very actually looks very much like the ship from Star Wars the Force Awakens uh during Rey's force back sequence this is when she touches luke's lightsaber and she starts having this uh she experiences these events from the past and her her past and the past of the uh, you know the lightsaber she ends up seeing uh you know luke uh the, watching the jedi temple burn uh she sees the knights of ren slaughtering people and then she even sees visions of her own past and as you know there's these um it, she sees this image of a young child herself being held back by Unkar Putt, and uh, she's yelling, come back, and she looks up at the sky at w- where, where young her is looking, and there's this ship flying away from Jakku while the young her is screaming. Um, and uh, it, it's very much implied here that, that whoever left her on Jakku, maybe not necessarily her parents, but whoever left her on Jakku are in that ship. I think we can all agree upon that much. And... Um, this is where my theory begins because th- there's um, there's some interesting things here. There's uh, all during this force back sequence. There is you can hear these quotes from people throughout the Star Wars saga. You can hear quotes from Obi Wan. You can hear quotes from Yoda. You can actually hear a quote from Palpatine right before Rey actually sees her parents or whoever left her on Jakku. There's actually a quote from Palpatine that that uh, is said at, at that point. Um, so I'm wondering if we're going to if this film is going to explore uh, Ray's parents, if we're if that ship has anything to do, you know, is that the ship of Ray's parents or whoever left her on Jakku? Uh, you know, you mentioned that Kathleen Kennedy said that Palpatine was in the works a long, long ago, I think is the quote. And mm-hmm. considering Colin Trevorrow 
was working on this film just a year and a half ago. That does not sound long, like long ago to me. So I'm assuming like you had assumed earlier in this podcast that these this is probably the plans to bring Palpatine in were probably developed sometime in The Force Awakens um, that, you know, they had planned on bringing him in. I'm assuming they were planning on bringing him in in Episode 8 and that did not happen. Um, but OK. This is uh this is where my theory goes into to high gear here. Um, as you said, he says there's more to the story of Ray's parents. Um, what and there's that scene in Last Jedi where Kylo Ren tries to convince Ray to join him, and he's he's un, under ulterior motivations. He says, uh, he says that you know she knows the truth, and filthy junk traders who sold her off for drinking money. They're dead in a pauper's grave in the Jakku desert of, of her, of her parents. Um, but he's saying this under, you know, in this moment, he's trying to get her to join him. I feel like it's, it's the most wor- It's like the worst, uh, unreliable narrator of a, a moment. So I'm not sure you can trust what he's saying in that moment. And also you can't trust, like, where does he get this information? Did is he just relaying what he saw in her mind when he saw her mind and saw her bigger spheres? If she saw her bigger spheres that she was a daughter of no one, is it because she he talked to Snoke and Snoke told him, "Oh, she's she's a nobody." That's another you know another layer of unreliable narration there. But the the biggest thing that I was thinking when I was delving into this this shot is the idea that her parents were these filthy junk traders on Jakku. Her sold her, who sold her off for uh, drinking money, and they're now dead in a pauper's grave in the Jakub Desert. Now, if you look at the ship, the ship looks like a nice ship, um, and whoever left her are leaving Jakku. So why would her parents be, number one, uh, needing to sell her off for some, you know, some booze money, but they're somehow leaving Jakku in a, in a fancy ship, and number two, they've left Jakku, but but uh, Kylo says that they're in a grave in Jakku. I, Ryan Johnson is a very smart uh, filmmaker and screenwriter, and I think he probably watched Force Awakens many times before filming Last Jedi, and he saw that shot. Uh, I think there's no no mistake there. Like I don't think he made a mistake in this in what Kylo is saying, I think that is purposely that purposely doesn't line up because there's something more sinister at play here. Uh, does everybody, what do you guys think of that part of my theory? Jacob, what do you think? I mean, it, it, it makes sense. I, I, part of me, I genuinely think that Ryan Johnson was doing a hard pivot away from all this in that, uh, but, but why would pivoting you, back? But you could easily I, line that up. You could be like, there, there were people that were trying to get rid of you, and they left Jakku. Like, why say that they're in a desert? Great. Like, that seems to go against the evidence we saw on screen. I mean, if if people, I guess my petty devil's advocate thing would be, they're taking the ship to another part of Jakku. Uh, they're, t- you know, <laughs> they go through that city in Jakku. I mean, there, there are tiny things I could poke holes yeah. in. Um, but it's it's also they, a, they a could case be where, hitchhiking. They could, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think mostly what you're saying lines up. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if I like it, but I think it lines up. I think it makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of where I am too. 
Okay, so this is the final thrust of my theory, uh, which you can read the whole thing on SlashFilm.com. I'm going over it really fast here. Uh, but when Force Awakens came out, I had this theory that I wrote up for the site. What if uh, Rey was the daughter of Supreme Leader Snoke? And I wrote the, up this theory because in that film, uh, you know, it kind of has a symmetry. Uh, that The kind of symmetry that we love from George Lucas in the Star Wars films. Our villain, Kylo Ren, is a Skywalker-blooded son of one of our heroes, you know, Han Solo and uh, General Leia. Why not have our new hero, Rey, be one of the offspring of our villains? And also, Kylo is the bad guy in these films, resisting the pull of the light side. He's always in resistance of, you know, the he it, deep in his heart, he wants to be good, but he's the bad guy. And Rey is the good guy who keeps on getting, uh, having to resist the pull of the dark side. Like, in the... In The Force Awakens, she, like, even in the book adaptation, she's hearing, like, a voice that's almost like Palpatine in her head. And, like, she strikes down at Kylo in anger, and she has to stop herself at many points. Uh, when she's in Last Jedi, she, uh, Luke notes that she she went right for that, like, that dark hole in the island. Like, she, nothing stopped her. Um, so I had theorized that she was, you know, the daughter of Snoke. We later learned that Snoke is an alien being... So that wouldn't make much sense since Ray is a human being. Um, so now I'm wondering, is it possible that Ray is a Palpatine? That Ray's lineage is not a Skywalker, not a Obi-Wan Kenobi, not a, you know, any of these good Jedi that we know, that she actually has a line in the in the bad. And we don't know how Palpatine is going to show up in this film. I, I think it's going to be more than a Force ghost. Um, but... We do know in the comic books there's this panel – and Ben, I think you wrote this up for the site. Am I correct? I think so. Yeah. There's a panel in a recent comic book that kind of suggested that Palpatine kind of impregnated uh, Anakin's mother because Anakin uh, had a virgin birth um, on, uh, on Tatooine. And um, they've been doing a lot with Palpatine in the comics actually. They've been showing what he – like he actually put in plans to kind of uh, – start the first order after his death he was actually kind of responsible for uh, some of that and um he was also you know searching for immortality he you know he he says that uh with with uh anakin and in, in revenge of the sith so anyways uh so if he can create a birth from afar maybe ray is number one yes she was born to some random nobodies so that is still true and what what JJ said in that quote that you mentioned, then uh, you know that he's not, you know, retconning. Yeah, he, that. he's he's honoring. Yeah, what happened in in the Last Jedi, but there is more to the story. That I mean, that it fits. And, and there's a couple other bits here I want to mention really quick. Ray's lightsaber fighting style is most similar to Palpatine in her like jabs and stuff. She's going more out of anger than Luke or Obi Wan or any of the other Jedi's. And the name Ray is a girl's name in Spanish of Spanish origin meaning meaning king which when force awakens came out we many thought that um that meant that she was going to be related to you know royalty like Leia or Ghana but maybe that means that she's actually related to uh you know the emperor himself so uh this i guess would technically make her a skywalker in in some way because the Pal- palpatine i guess in this theory created anakin 
So she would also be. I think either way, we're going to see her ad- adopt the Skywalker name at the end of this movie. We you you got to do that to make this a cohesive whole. So uh, Ben, now that you've heard my theory in whole, what do you think? Um, I mean, I guess I I like you 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 lay out a very compelling case for it, Peter. I kind of hate it, uh, but I <laughs> I also think that it makes a lot of sense. I I am wondering like if. The Emperor has been, you know, God knows where he's been for the past 30 years or however long it's been. But, like, if he has the ability to create life um, willy-nilly, why isn't he just creating a whole army of people that he could, you know, like, to give himself better odds of creating a person that he could easily manipulate or something? Like, Ray has proven to be... A heroic figure thus far and there's the chance the the probability that she's going to resist whatever continue to resist whatever pull he and the the dark side of the force has over her so like if he can just you know float above everyone impregnating random women on various planets it just seems like why isn't there you know, why aren't well, there hun- hundreds of Palpatine-created they... people, uh, you know, wandering the galaxy? I'm assuming in doing so, you're giving, you're deteriorating your own life in some way to to create life. I'm I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, it could be, and you know that could be very easily explained with like one line of dialogue, and maybe that would that would wipe out, you know, my entire counter argument there. But um, Jacob, what do you what do you think? Any additional thoughts here? Uh as a fan of the last jedi i'm like <laughs> um, right <laughs> as a star wars fan i'm like hmm, hmm, okay um because peter's right the, the the um comics have been leaning very very heavily or hinting heavily on on palpatine having been the source of anakin to begin with and if you know let's say there's a once in a generation chance of finding someone who can give birth to a chosen one or somebody yep. like this and ray is that person and Anakin Skywalker himself was born nobody. He was born into slavery, and he had to be, you know, taken off of a desert wasteland. So, like George Lucas enjoys, it rhymes. George Lucas loves loves his poetic, you know, rhyming, yeah. symmetrical stuff. It makes a lot of sense, and it feels like a it could be a proper conclusion for a nine film saga. I don't like it as a sequel to Last Jedi, but I can be on board it for a final Skywalker film. So. Like I said, I, I'm not so sure if Lucasfilm's fully prepared to. I mean, they say the comics and books are canon, but that, that's usually just lip service, you know, for people who, you know, really want to dive into that. So if they want to introduce a concept that deep, that's that deeply ingrained into the new canon from you know other sources, there's a lot of legwork they got to get into Rise of Skywalker. So, but I think Peter's logic makes sense, and I think there's something to be said about. Um, Ray being Anakin 2.0 and being Anakin getting a chance, the, the, the idea of Anakin getting a chance to be done right as opposed to being corrupted. So it, it, it makes sense. I, I'm half on board and half opposed. We'll see. It's also, if you think about it, like without Palpatine, without a big bad, there's no way for redemption for Kylo Ren, right? He doesn't need redemption. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this is my sticking point. Let, let, let that guy burn. He killed his father. He took over the first order for his own selfish purposes i don't he, he needs to go down he needs to he needs to die but, but and darth die vader killed millions death. and millions and millions of people so did so darth, did kylo <laughs> or i guess i guess uh, he we haven't seen that but darth vader killed millions of people as a slave 
as somebody who felt he had no options, somebody who could control his entire life. Yeah. Kylo Ren made his decisions of, of, of genocide as a person born with options who made the active choice and actively pursued this as opposed to Darth Vader, who could be argued was corrupted from the very beginning. So I feel like Kylo Ren needs to go down, man. He, he needs to burn. He needs to be put to death with no forgiveness. Okay, we, we have a, c- a couple questions to answer in the mailbag. I know we're already going over our time slot, but uh, I feel like if we don't get to these now, we won't get to them. So let's let's dive in pretty quickly. Uh, Tal Marinian uh, writes in, am I the only one who saw the opening scene with Ray as some sort of training exercise? There's just a feeling or look that indicates that she's trying something new and testing herself. And I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think? That, that scene in the in the desert where the TIE fighter's coming at her, and we know that TIE fighter is Kylo's TIE fighter, but it is curious that that TIE fighter is not firing at her. Do you know what I mean? While it approaches, it's not uh, firing, you know, laser blasts at her. So, uh, oh, go ahead, Peter. So could it be someone else that we don't know behind the, the, the you know, the control of the TIE fighter? Is this a training exercise? I definitely think that's Kylo piloting, uh, and why he's firing, it's more dramatic to try to run her down, he wants to fight, I don't know. But I, I think that Tom Marinian may be on to something here, because this feels like very much the way she's like waiting and like getting into, into the moment before she breaks that run in the leap, makes you wonder if this is going to be a payoff to another scene. Like early in the movie, we see her attempting a similar leap while training, only to fail. And maybe Leia gives her some advice. It's like, oh, we'll try it later. Now she's on an adventure and she has to try it for real. So I'm wondering if he's if, if they're on to something here with it being a payoff to training. I just don't think it's training itself. Hmm. Okay, D-Clan writes in from Toronto. And he writes in with basically explaining how Palpatine could return. He says, remember Darth Sidious, the Emperor, was the apprentice to Darth Plagueis. This is explained in uh, Revenge of the Sith, a Sith Lord that was so powerful and knowledgeable in the dark side that he could influence Metaclorians to create life and keep people from dying. Uh, in the expanded universe, Darth Sidious learned all of Darth Plagueis' powers when he had nothing left and learned he killed Plagueis, uh, as was the way of the rule of two. In canon, you recall in Revenge of the Sith, the scene where Palpatine told Anakin about the story of Darth Plagueis and his power. So it's not too far-fetched to consider that the Emperor used the power to save himself at the end of Return of the Jedi. Just a thought. P.S. Sorry, Chris. I have a feeling this will not make you feel any better about the movie. <laughs> um, so what do you guys think of that? Like, I think he's dead on here. I think this is exactly how it's going to be explained in the movie of how Palpatine is alive. Yeah, I I think you're probably right. And, you know, speaking to what Jacob was talking about with like the groundwork that has to be laid for that, I'm just sort of dreading the exposition that's going to have to happen if all of this shakes out because it just feels so, you know, it's fine when we're like sitting back and talking about it as like conceptual ideas. But when you translate this conversation into movie dialogue, it just I I can't (laughs) I don't know. I can't fathom it sounding good. I think you could like look at Luke's journals as like uh, you know that Ray has, and you just be like, "Oh, there." Luke thinks he found evidence that Palpatine could still be alive using some kind of ancient Sith techniques. Like I feel, well, I guess that maybe is clunky. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Cade L writes in. He has a few things here. 
He says uh, he wonders if the planet in the trailer with the Death Star could be Yavin and could actually be the um, the Death Star from the original Star Wars, A New Hope. Jacob, do you have any response to that? Could be. I don't know. I, I guess we always assumed last. Uh, I'm sorry, Return of the Jedi, but I don't know. Uh, it, I do not know the difference between the Death Star as well enough when they're in pieces yeah. for me to have an opinion yet. But you know what? You could be right. I do feel like with the with the the laugh of the Emperor, we know the Emperor in his throne room and Death Star two. I feel like it's a callback to that. So. Um, he also asked about Endor. Is Endor the moon or the planet? He just rewatched Return of the Jedi again, and I'm pretty sure Vader and the Emperor referred to it as planet, where the shield generator is. Um, I've done a bunch of research on this. The planet of Endor is apparently uh, a gas planet, so it's, it's not actually a planet. It's just a bunch of gas. And they refer to Endor throughout the movie as the forest moon of Endor. So I'm assuming Endor has a bunch of different moons. The one we see with the Ewoks is the forest moon of Endor. Uh, maybe the one here is not the same Endor we saw in that. Maybe this is the grass the grass uh, moon of Endor or something. I don't know. Um, okay, third question he has. Is Palpatine a force ghost? And would that negate the moral tale within Revenge of the Sith? The film seems to indicate that the dark side cannot produce immortality but can only prolong physical life, ugly, hateful, sickly life. Whereas Qui-Gon discovers that there is immortality with the light side through the ghosthood. I think that is an important thematic idea as it further submits the tragic irony of Anakin's turn in seeking immortality for those he loves through the dark side. He brings them death, whereas letting go of life and turning to the light side, one can achieve an immortality within the Force. Assuming J.J. cares about this distinction, I would assume Palpatine is alive physically in Episode Nine. Any thoughts? A good thought. I, I, I think that the idea of clinging on to life no matter what, despite the circumstances, is something you know that can be portrayed as an ugly, disease thing. You know, in, in the context of the Star Wars universe and what we're discussing here. Whereas letting go of himself become one of the force is, as, as we see in the movies, very much an idea of a very Eastern philosophy thing. And as we know, Star Wars is heavily influenced by a lot of Eastern philosophy. So, yeah, I think this is a good observation. Yeah, and also, Maybe he's just hanging out in like an iron lung in the, <laughs> the burned out wreckage of the, the Death Star or something. He's like barely he's alive, but he can barely move or something. I don't know. I think also the search for immortality is driven by fear. Right. And. If you if you've heard Yoda, Master Yoda speak about fear, then you know where you know where, where that lies. Uh, okay, number four. All in all, in all, it would have been very nice to have very little original trilogy throwbacks in this new trilogy, as it is. Ray, Finn, and company are not going to be given their own story. Their trilogy ends as their story is really beginning. Having the original characters play so prominently. And the new story does a disservice to the new characters. Anyways, Abrams and Kennedy were not brave enough to do this trilogy without massive fan service. JJ tends to do that anyways. Look at Into Darkness. Oh, well, I look forward to Palpatine anyways. First of all, Kate, I will never look at Into Darkness again. <laughs> That's JJ Abrams' worst yeah. movie by far. But otherwise, uh, yeah, I, 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 it's something that I've been bothered about too, which is that 
this is the end of the Skywalker saga, but I'm worried it will draw focus away from Ray and Finn. Poe, characters who I genuinely have grown to love over these past two movies. Ben, what do you think? Yeah, I also think, I mean, this is emblematic of Disney's larger approach to the Star Wars saga. I mean, look at, you know, Rogue One and the decisions that they've made with Solo and greenlighting movies based on characters that, uh, you know, fans recognize instead of what they're finally coming around to doing now, which is spreading things out and throughout the galaxy and telling new stories that, that actually further the mythos and, you know, aren't clinging to these older characters. But I will say that the idea of Ray and Finn and Poe and everybody hanging out and being together in this movie uh, is appealing to me because I love seeing them together or at least the configurations of them that we saw in the force awakens. That was like, especially Ray and, and Finn. I love that relationship. And I, I was sad to see them separated in the last Jedi, even though I love that movie and I still think it's the best star Wars movie, but, uh, but I, I really am excited about the potential of all of them going on an adventure together instead of being split up. So yes, I, I do agree with the larger point that I wish these new characters had more of the focus of the story. Um, but I, I feel like that's, you know, they, they sort of, because it's the Skywalker saga, they had to include those legacy characters. And then uh, Kennedy has said in the past that, you know, just because the Skywalker saga is over doesn't mean that we're not going to get more stories with Ray and Finn and BB-8 and all of those characters. So I feel like maybe there's room for them still to come back in uh, another trilogy or another, some sort of continuation or, or separate story where maybe we could concentrate just on them. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I will say this: he may, reading this email, he makes it sound like this whole movie is mostly about the older, you know, original trilogy characters, and it's all about throwbacks to the to the previous films. And I, I would venture to say, if you took all the screen time from anybody from the original trilogy and you added it up, it probably doesn't equal even twenty minutes, right? Um, it's not like they're on screen that much. It is about the, these this new group of characters. I mean, it is about, I mean, what JJ said. It's about generations inheriting the, uh, the good and the bad of, you know, what came before them. And I, I, I think that that is just, you know, Ben, your your heritage is just as much about you as you know the life you you lead do you know what i mean like mm -hmm. i feel like yeah. it, it's about that and i i also don't think like i don't know everybody i i know chris was like so down on this death star thing but i feel like if you're gonna bring the saga to a con conclusion that's a place to end this the story is where where it began i feel like it, it's so symmetrical in the way that george lucas loved um i you know i'm not a fan of like the forced in uh nostalgia moments like uh when finn was like rattling around the money of falcon and force awakens like that stuff like doesn't work but like if this is part of the grand story and the arc to these characters i don't see it as fan service i don't see it as a disservice to these characters i see it as you know this is you know the end of the story and it, it it's their adventure and it just so happens to involve this thing that you know, bookends this franchise. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to entirely speak for Chris, but I, I'm very much in line with his thoughts of the, like the entire trilogy looking like almost a circle. Right. And, and the last Jedi doing this really interesting thing where it sort of uh, branches away from the circle. You think it's going to connect 
uh, all the way back around in this very Lucas-esque way. And The Last Jedi purposefully does a huge swerve away from that. And J.J. taking the approach, you know, he could have continued down the path that Ryan Johnson took it, but it, it wouldn't have, um, it wouldn't necessarily have been a satisfying arc, for, you know, from beginning films. to end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the fact that J.J. is taking this path means that he is just taking the squiggle from The Last Jedi and then forcing that that circle to be connected. Um, and I am like Chris, where I... I you know, part of me really, really wants to see where that squiggle would have gone instead of watching the the circle be completed. But uh, but I guess that's just the approach. And maybe we'll get that type of storytelling elsewhere. I don't know. We're all speculating right now. I, I don't think it's going to be as obvious of like a complete 180 turn away from where Ryan Johnson was going. But maybe I'm wrong. We'll, we'll have to see. Okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. I'll link all the things we mentioned on today's podcast in the show notes. Please re- read my theory. Uh, it's called, Is This Spaceship the Key to Unlocking the Biggest Secret of Star Wars, The Rise of, the Skies, uh, the Rise of Skywalker? I'll link that in the show notes as well. There's a lot more that I did not get into, a lot of theorizing of what this you know, last film is going to be about there. This podcast, Hustle Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. Um, we, we, we ran long, but I guess it's worth uh, mentioning, at least in conversation here, that when the Disney Imagineers sent in their original designs for, uh, what would become Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Apparently Bob Iger rejected them. His whole thing was, I spent billions of dollars on Lucasfilm, and you're, you're building a park around 30-year-old characters. Build it around the new guys who, 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 who we're actually investing in, which is why Galaxy's Edge is built around the First Order and Kylo Ren and all mm. the uh, current stuff. So I feel like, uh, even though we discussed the idea of this, you know, closing off, you know, the universe for the new guys, Bob Iger and people who, who are investing the money uh, are very much aware that the future of Star Wars with these new guys who people will be coming to go visit at Disney World and Disneyland for decades to come. So I think it's at least worth us considering that. Yeah, I'd never heard that before. And, and I also think Ben's right. He brought up that interview with Kathleen Kennedy that her saying that, you know, Ray and Finn and these guys, their adventure's not over here. I think it's just going to be next time we see them, it's not going to be the Skywalker saga and it's going to be their complete story to tell. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so.